Alan Johnson has written our Holy Week devotional, uh, turning to what is called Jesus' Upper Room Discourse that you'll find in the Gospel according to Mark and the High Priestly Prayer. As Jesus moves into the High Priestly Prayer in John chapter 17, he talks about what it means uh, to be the Christ and what it means to be saved and why he came and what he has done in his coming, his first coming. Let me just read to you from the high priestly prayer from John chapter 17, verses 3 through 5. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Eternal life is to know God and to know Jesus. That's John 17, 3. And then Jesus continues, what has he done in his first coming? I glorified you, Father, in other words, on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Jesus has served the Father on earth, accomplishing faithfully all the service that the Father gave to him. And then verse five, and now Father glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. This passage, like so many passages of central and ultimate importance in the New Testament, point us back to the message that we find centering in the Old Testament in the book of Isaiah, in what is known as the fourth of the servant prophecies, poetic prophecies, sometimes called servant songs, the suffering servant, the fourth being, the fourth of these songs being Isaiah, the close of chapter 52 through Isaiah chapter 53. In Jesus' coming, we know this ultimately centers on the axis of the cross itself, where God's justice and grace, God's holiness and God's love come together to be reconciled, to be fulfilled, and to call us in salvation to God himself. Today's sermon is, who is Jesus? It's one question. Another question is, who has believed? And we're going to be turning today centrally or ultimately to uh, the beginning portion or some of the beginning portion of the fourth uh, song uh, of the servant in Isaiah. Uh, we'll, we'll be looking to that. Uh, we'll move in that direction and we'll continue looking at the song of the suffering servant next Sunday for Palm Sunday, as well as we'll continue uh, to be inspired by and look as reference to the Suffering Servant song on Easter Sunday as well. Today, though, we're going to begin by turning to the New Testament, to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8, uh, beginning at verse 29. 
We're picking up in the middle of a passage here, or after a passage really has begun. This is the account that Luke gives us in Acts of the deacon and evangelist Philip, whom the angel of the Lord has called to go out uh, on the road to Gaza, from Jerusalem to Gaza. In other words, he's heading over uh, toward the coast, but he's not there yet. He's He's going to a desert place on the way from Jerusalem out to Gaza, and that is the present-day Gaza City, what you would know as uh, that, that area. And so Philip, not knowing what his purpose in doing this is, but knowing that he's been commanded by the Lord to do it, goes out uh, on this road, and he encounters a eunuch, that means a man who has been castrated. He's a man of high service in the ancient times in many royal courts, uh, people who were not of the royal family but were given great responsibility and power. And in this case, he's the treasurer of the queen of Ethiopia. So in other words, he handles a lot of money, but he's not bound by being concerned about family and family trying to get money from him. He's a eunuch. And uh, he's, he's someone who's searching, clearly searching for the Lord, because he's come all the way up from Ethiopia uh, to Jerusalem, seeking after this God of the Bible. But let me remind you, in the Bible and under the Mosaic law, for instance, Deuteronomy chapter 23, a eunuch was not allowed into the assembly, even the outer courts, the Gentile courts, of Israel, the assembly of the Lord, because he's viewed as being really an abomination to the Lord. He's a eunuch. Uh, also in Leviticus, there's, there's no way the priests are going to deal with this man. So he cannot receive under the Mosaic law any forgiveness, relief, even access really to the communal presence of the people of God. He's heading back apparently to Ethiopia now, this eunuch, and picking up on this story, Philip, the Christian deacon and evangelist from the early church, uh, encounters him. Um, verse 29, Acts chapter 8. And the Spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. The eunuch, he's a wealthy man, he's a powerful man, he's, he's riding a chariot. Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet. So he's reading a scroll of Isaiah the prophet. Again, a wealthy man able to have his own scroll of Isaiah the prophet. And Philip asked, Do you understand what you are reading? And he, the black African Ethiopian eunuch, said, how can I, unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. In other words, in the chariot. Now, the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shears is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. And who can describe his generation? 
In other words, what comes after him, his, his future, his progeny. For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? And then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture, in other words, Isaiah 53, Philip told him the good news about Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Friends, the grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. So Philip ran up to the chariot, and you got to be running pretty fast to keep up with the chariot, by the way. Uh, he's inspired. I hope you're in shape and also ready to be inspired by the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit tells you to go after somebody, he may be telling you to really run. So Philip runs up and asks, do you understand what you are reading? Do you ask that question to people? You talk to people about the Bible. You know, as Christians, all of us who are born again in the Holy Spirit, this is not just a fire insurance policy God is engaging with us on. You know, God is calling you. God is calling me. God is calling us to be evangelists. Even those of us who say, well, I don't have the gift of evangelism. Yeah, but we're all equipped in the word to know the word and at least to open the door to begin to ask questions and explain with other folks what the scripture is about. Do you know this book? Are you familiar with this book? It is the word of God to us. We're called first and foremost parents, children, households, individual disciples to open this book and begin to know it so that we can talk about it with those who may have questions and with unbelievers. So, um, Philip is equipped to ask this question. He, he's not shy about it, is he? <laughs> he doesn't say, well, you know, there's a lot of different interpretations, or I'm not quite sure I understand the Bible yet, so I'm not going to talk to this Ethiopian eunuch. Just let him go back to Ethiopia and let him go to hell. I'll never evangelize him. No, Philip doesn't say that. Philip is ready to say, do you understand this book? Do you understand this passage that you are reading? And the eunuch says, how can I? Now that eunuch is saying that not just to Philip 2,000 years ago. He's saying it to you and me now. There are millions and even billions of people who do not understand this book. And how are they going to understand it? And how are they going to know the gospel? unless you help them, unless you serve the Lord in the calling and the salvation he's given you. How can I, unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip up with him to sit with him. Um, now, you know, they go on, he reads from Isaiah, the suffering servant song that I've already described to you. Um, there in verses 7 and 8 and, uh, of, of 53. And then 
back to our passage from Acts, uh, verse 34 of Acts chapter 8. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? Is he talking, is Isaiah talking about himself or someone else? Again, let me ask you, would you be able to answer that question? Because as I've already said, and as we'll continue to explore the next couple Sundays, what many Old Testament scholars, what my favorite Old Testament commentator on the book of Isaiah says is the, in fact, the theological apex and center point of the entire Old Testament, this servant song from Isaiah chapter 53. If we don't know that, how can we even begin to crack open the book? So he's asking, you know, who is the subject of this? And then Philip opens his mouth. And beginning with this scripture, Isaiah 52, 53, he tells him the gospel. He tells him the good news about Jesus. I remember, Nancy and I will remember this, we, we uh, knew a, a woman from Jewish background, fairly sophisticated, secular Jewish background named Judy Reamer, who, um, this is from a long time ago, as a young girl, she had a crush on Pat Boone, the singer Pat, Pat Boone, you know, who is a Christian, as a lay evangelist. And uh, one time she got to see Pat Boone sing in uh, Las Vegas. And after the show, you know, her husband was a very influential and well-off doctor, and she was able to get access to, to meet Pat Boone. And Pat Boone ended up evangelizing her. She was Jewish, and Pat Boone, I mean, this is a layperson now, a singer, knew how to evangelize from the Old Testament only to Jewish people. You know, he didn't touch the New Testament, but he went to the Old Testament, and central to his calling Judy Reamer to saving faith was his turning to the suffering servant song. Because in Jewish tradition, there really is no answer to who is this and what is really going on here. Who is Jesus? And who has believed? Who has believed? This is, again, the fourth of the four major prophetic poems in that segment of Scripture known as Isaiah 40 through 55. You have the first servant song in the opening verses of 42, chapter 42. Second servant song, opening verses of chapter 49 the third servant song, middle verses of chapter 50. And then at the end of 52, moving through into 53, we have the fourth and the ultimate and the most challenging of the servant songs. By the way, as I've reminded you, um, the chapter markings in scripture are medieval. And if you wanna know if they're always inspired, I can tell you right now, they're not always inspired, the chapter markings, because why would you break up uh, the servant song, the fourth and ultimate servant song, uh, kind of oddly into the end of one chapter and the beginning or the full of another. But uh, this is the most controverted and controversial prophecy of the entire Old Testament. Let me repeat that. This is the most controverted and controversial prophecy of the entire Old Testament. Uh, 
there are all kinds of reasons here. We'll continue with this a little bit, but let me just say some of the questions that are begged here. This is how the Messiah comes to us. By the way, again, who is this in the first place? If you're going to say this is the Messiah, this is the way he comes to us? Unattractive? And he has to die? The Messiah is supposed to be king, glorious. Wait, and you're saying also as these servant songs come together and as the entire theology reaches its Mount Everest in Isaiah and in this particular segment of Isaiah, the Messiah himself is God? But again, this is how God comes to us? Unattractive, losing, God being killed, the author of life himself being killed. This is how the arm of the Lord's glory and power comes to us. Weak, none of the power five teams would even pick this guy, you know, on the playground (laughs) for their team. This is God and this is the Christ. And this is the way we're going to be saved. It's him. The Lord, our shepherd, comes as a sheep, a lamb who is slaughtered sacrificially. All the theology of the entire Old Testament, all of this, the only way we're going to even get to begin to understand who Jesus is, all of this is at issue here. The just punished for the unjust. We just, our backs get up on that one, right? The bad guys need to be punished. But wait a minute, you're telling me that when God himself comes and when the Messiah himself comes, it's the just who is punished in place of the unjust? Would you like that if that happened to your child? Your child is innocent. The other kids are guilty. And your child is the one punished on behalf of the others. Does that make sense to anybody? Not just from a worldly standard, but even from a traditional morality or conservative religious standpoint. It just, it, it cuts us and challenges us to the core. And the loving and just God was pleased and glorified in the sacrifice of his own holy son. Violently punished, violently punished. for the sin of his people. Who is Jesus? In response, Jesus says, yes. The Bible says, yes. The apostles say, yes, and amen. And this is the basis of our gospel, and this is the basis of how we evangelize and understand who Jesus is and who we are. Just a little example, back to Acts. Acts chapter 3. When Peter is speaking in Solomon's portico in Jerusalem, Acts 3, verses 13 through 15, just a little segment here. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, the covenant-making God, glorified his servant. Do you see that? Circle that. If you can circle in your Bible, servant. Peter just hyperlinked us back to Isaiah 53, just like most of the New Testament does. 
pace servant, Isaiah 53. That's what he's just said. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant, Jesus. What happened to his servant? Yeah, just like Isaiah 53 said. Um, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided, Pilate had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one, all hyperlinking back to Isaiah, the holy and righteous one, God himself come to us, the arm of the Lord revealed to us, the holy and righteous one. You've already heard me say how central those terms are for Isaiah and understanding God. And ask for a murderer to be granted to you. And you kill the author of life. Wait a minute. You're telling me the servant who gets killed is the author of life? Yes, Peter says. And by the way, go back and read Isaiah 53. Exactly. You kill the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. The servant. Who is Jesus? He's the servant. But as Peter just told them and tells you, he's also the holy and righteous one. He's God. He's your righteousness. Our righteousness from God has saved us. Romans chapter 3. It's not our righteousness, it's his, and it's God himself coming to us. And he is the author of life the one whom God raised from the dead. Who is Jesus? Circle all those. Acts 3, 13 through 15. Who is Jesus? You know, from our sermon series on Mark, I kept repeating over and over again, Acts's point there, right? Jesus is the servant who pays the ransom for us. Central key verse, Jesus explaining to us who he is, Acts, excuse me, Mark 10, 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give himself as a ransom for many. Remember, Jesus connects the Baranosh of Daniel, son of man who will come again to judge, with the Christ, the Christ who is the very son of God. Psalm 110, verse 1, with Isaiah 53. Remember how we talked about that? It all comes together. Servant, son of man, son of God. Christ. The only way you can be saved. We'll talk more about that next Sunday. He is the only Savior. He is the way, the truth, and the life. The key answer to the building hopes and tensions and possibilities of all the scriptures, of all the Old Testament, and definitely the songs. And most certainly, the key answer to, you know, in the second servant song, Isaiah 49, 6, it's too light a thing for you to bring back, for you to save for me, 
the tribes of Jacob and the remnant of Israel, I will make you a light to the nations. I will bring all my people unto myself. This is a lot bigger than Israel. Second servant song. And then third servant song, Isaiah 50, remember? I turn my back, they flog me, they spit on me and abuse me. What's going on there with the suffering servant? All the way to the servant who stands in voluntarily for us. See, we are totally separated from God. It takes him to pay the price for you and for me and to bring us to God. That's who he is. He has to be, and he indeed is, all the things we just mentioned. So, Isaiah 52, picking up at verse 13. Isaiah 52. Behold, the Lord says, The Lord God himself says, look, behold, my servant, Abdi, my servant, shall act wisely, or as the ESV says, will prosper. He's, he's going to be successful. He's going to be wise unto effectiveness. My servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. When we introduced Isaiah, looking to Isaiah chapter 6 and began with verse 1, with this vision, this revelation that Isaiah has of God and his glory. Remember, I told you this. I saw the Lord, Isaiah says, in the year that King Uzziah died. I saw the Lord. How was the Lord? He was what? High and lifted up. This is, these, these words, these Hebrew words are used elsewhere, but this appellation is unique to Isaiah in the typical way he does it with the vav there. And it's, it's, it's with hooking those two terms, high and lifted up. And the other times Isaiah uses it, it is clearly about the Lord God. Isaiah 6, 1, and Isaiah 57, 15. Now, all of a sudden, okay, you understand high and lifted up means God. We're talking about God. I saw the Lord high and lifted up. 57, 15, for thus says the one who is high and lifted up. This is God himself speaking, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, Isaiah 57, 15. And right in the middle of all that, it turns out the servant is high and lifted up. So what have you just been told if you've been paying attention? The servant is God himself. And this is a servant who's about to be pierced for our transgressions. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up 
and shall be exalted. Now you notice, you just got another exaltation term there, okay? That's, that's, that's Hebrew abda, okay? So it's been added to the other two terms. What is that telling us prophetically? Jesus will be raised at Easter. He will ascend to heaven. And the third term, he doesn't have to do anything. He is just exalted. That's what the abda means there. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. That's all in Isaiah 52, verse 13. God's servant, the Messiah, but also he's God himself. He was and is God's son. Where's his glory? Where's his glory? Well, it turns out his glory is as the sacrifice for our sin. Not in the imminent Christology, but in the economic Christology, in his saving work for us, this is where we find it, okay? This is it. The Messiah divine, he's God's son. And he, it is as challenging. Because let's move on and we're gonna read through what is so challenging here. If we just read um, verse 13 of 52, we might stop and say, okay, good, let's close the book, it's all done. No, 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 let's figure out what's going on here. As many were astonished at you, the word there really sh could be, should be, new, uh, new American standard, it's appalled. As many were appalled at you, astonished at you, and parenthetically, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. He's not even recognizable as a human being. He's not even recognizable when he is dying on the cross as a human being. His form beyond that of the children of mankind. Um, so shall he sprinkle many nations, many Gentiles. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them, they now see. And that which they have not heard, they understand. 53 verse 1, who has believed, that, that was a little stands and now we move on to another, who has believed what he has heard from us? In other words, who's believed this? This is the question. This is a question for this little series of sermons. And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Verse 2, for he grew up before him. In other words, the servant grew up before God like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. Do roots in dry ground grow fast and impressively? No. Nobody's going to pay attention to him. He's not like the big, powerful people. He's not a king. He's not a stockbroker. He's not a wealthy technology magnate. He's nothing. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him. And no beauty. He's not a movie star that we should desire him. He was despised. 
Now, this is God. This is the Savior. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Now, this, this next stanza, we're shifting to understand not just his coming, but also his cross. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced, he was run through from the inside out for our transgressions. Understand, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds... We are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one of us to his own way. And the Lord, God, has laid upon him, the servant, the iniquity of us all. And then what the eunuch was reading specifically, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, his future, his progeny, considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression. You notice the Lord is singing now over his son for my people, my people. This is not Israel. This is someone who's standing in for Israel and standing in for all the Lord's people whom he will save. Indeed, this is the word of the Lord. Substitutionary sacrifice We'll turn back to that again next Sunday on Palm Sunday. Understand that Jesus is our sacrifice, and he is the lamb. John the Baptist said it when he saw Jesus. John 1.29, right? Behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then go all the way to Revelation 5.6. There in the throne room of God. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing. That's who he is. Isaiah 53. I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Ultimately, we come back to this question, who can believe this? We can't believe this out of our flesh. God has to give it to us, right? Who has actually seen the arm of the Lord in the one who was crucified here? There's no way we're looking for that. He has to open our eyes. He has to open our eyes. We're saved only by his grace. And so, uh, like the eunuch says, I need a guide. Well, ultimately, our guide is the lamb himself. Revelation 7, 17. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. And he will guide them 
same verb as back to Acts 8 and the eunuch. He will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. The lamb is your guide. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. The crucified Christ, the lamb, is your guide. Jesus says, if you would follow me, my guide, my guidance, you must give up yourself and take up your cross and come after me. See, here's the thing. Jesus knew exactly who he was. I have two questions for you today. Do you know who Jesus is? And do you know yourself? The only way Jesus could empty himself like Paul is talking about in Philippians 2, and give up everything and take on the form of a servant and become obedient to death, even death on a cross, the only way Jesus could put aside the royal robes and take up the towel of a servant and ultimately be stripped and crucified, the only way Jesus could give up everything is if he already knew exactly who he was and is and will be forever. And he did. I am inviting you and I'm inviting myself to know and believe in who he is, who he was, who he was, who he will be forever and ever. And to know that you can find yourself in him. And in him, you can find the trust and the faith, the saving faith that allows you to give up everything. And he'll give you beyond measure what you can't give yourself. I invite you to follow the servant and the savior, to have the same mind that was in him, who didn't try to grasp anything, but trusted the father all the way through death. Parents, that is the faith your children need now and into eternity. Spouses, that's the faith that can save your spouse. That is the good news that we share with others, who Jesus really is. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, now and forever. Amen.